Hi, welcome to the Tell Me What You're Proud Of podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maggie Perry. I'm a licensed psychologist with a doctorate degree in clinical psychology. I'm also the founder of the online group therapy platform, Huddle.Care. I love helping people overcome anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, mood disorders, and stress. Please join us each week as we share real sessions with actual clients that reveal helpful techniques for effectively dealing with anxiety, OCD, mood disorders, and stress. We'll discuss what effective therapy looks like, sounds like, and feels like. We'll follow our guests as they overcome their biggest fears and find that despite their biological vulnerabilities, they can still live a rich, full, and meaningful life. My therapeutic approach is strengths-based and seeks to find and reinforce what clients do well to help them generalize those skills towards areas where they're stuck. My model for psychotherapy can be summed up as this. You tell me what you're proud of, and I'll help you become effective and happy across all areas of your life. Thanks for listening, and let's get the show started. Hi, this is Dr. Maggie Perry with Tell Me What You're Proud Of. I'm here for my fourth and final session with John, and John has just listened to my consultation with Dr. Jessica Bull. So John, thanks you so, so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Okay. Can you tell me what, what reactions you were having as you listened to me talking with Jessica? Yeah, I think the thing that came up for me like right away was just the mind-body connection she talked about. I think sometimes I felt anxious going to an event or doing something. And like cognitively, I'm like, this isn't threatening. Like, this is something I want to do. But my body, like she talked about, sends different signals. And after listening to that, I practiced the self-soothing. Like I actually physically had to touch myself and like self-soothe that way. And that calmed my body down. So I found that helpful. Can you um, be more specific? Like what kind of situation made you anxious that you use self-touch to help calm your body down? Yeah, there was two. So one was another conversation with my mom because I wanted to try it. And like I could feel like anger coming up. Um, and I just, like I did, she said, like she said, I put my hand on my chest and I just kind of like massage my chest a little bit. And that did help like soothe my feelings. So I, I found that helpful. Great. Do you want to be more specific about what made you feel angry and how you noticed that that anger was there? Yeah. Uh, so my mom might have some history, right? So um, we were talking about some stuff in terms of my relationship with other people and how she interacts and how she talks about other people. And her immediate response is defensiveness. Um, and so it feels frustrating not to be able to like make any progress there. But the self-soothing helped me like kind of ground myself and not get too carried away with my anger. And it definitely helped in terms of like having a conversation and just my feelings in the moment. What was helpful about having that conversation? Well, it was a conversation I hadn't comfortably had with my mom. Like there was things I said that I just didn't feel comfortable saying in the past. And so just being able to say those things is important for me. Like whether her response is her response, but I got a lot of just being able to say those things. Great. And can you expand on that? What's helpful about being able to kind of speak your truth? I think one thing I'm noticing is like my mind has to actually do certain things to buy in. Um, I can like understand things cognitively, like being able to speak what I want to say is important. I can understand that. But until I actually do it, there's like some part of my mind that doubts whether I can do it or not. 
So I think that's the benefit I get from that. Mm-hmm. And then what do you learn as you practice that? Oh, a couple of things. Like this time I thought, well, I learned how to kind of work with my body and calm my body in the moment. I think something else I've learned is I can handle the response and I can handle what happens. I think one of the things that made these conversations difficult in having them in the first place was I just didn't trust that I could handle what was going to happen afterwards. Tell me what you mean by you you didn't trust that you were going to be able to handle what was going to happen afterwards. Yeah, I thought maybe she'd explode on me or maybe it would really rupture the relationship and maybe I was being unreasonable or could have gone a number of negative ways. And then I didn't think I could handle like rupturing a relationship that's important to me. Um, But one, that didn't happen. And two, even if it had, I think there's ways to move forward that are still healthy. So you're saying that by asserting yourself and asserting your needs, you learned perhaps that you were stronger than you thought you were, that you could handle more emotion than you thought you could, and also that by being assertive, you actually weren't going to rupture the relationship the way your mind had assumed? Right, yes. I think I just had to do the thing to actually like buy into it. Really happy to hear that. And then circling all the way back, how was being assert how is thinking about the connection between your mind and body helpful again in in being more assertive how are those connected well for me my anger kind of leads my action sometimes and i'm not proud of the way that happens and i've always kind of worked on different ways to deal with that and this feels like another tool to like not just act on my anger or act on whatever emotion i'm feeling and kind of just self-soothe and calm myself. Can you explore where your anger is coming from? Do you have, do you understand like potential narratives that contribute to why you have trouble coping with anger? Yeah, I think one of the earliest ones that I definitely know is I'm just afraid of what my anger is going to do, like what actions I'm going to do. So I'm angry at this person, I'm going to explode at them, or I'm angry, I'm going to withdraw. Um, so that was the initial fear. And I think the other fear is I'm just not a good person if I'm like angrily interacting with this other person. Um, so those are kind of where my mind goes, the big ones. And then how are you shifting those narratives as you work with anger? Well, I think one thing is just accepting that anger is going to be there, right? It's just an emotion that I'm going to have and it's going to pop up. And it can also be a signal that something's going on for me. Like maybe there's a need that I'm not meeting where somebody's kind of disrespecting my boundaries and I need to do something about that. Yeah, both of those completely make sense. So it seems like you're really shifting your narratives around anger. And then is that making your anger less intense or just easier to cope with? I think it's just easier to cope with, honestly. Okay. Um, Are there still things about anger that scare you? Yeah, I think... One thing about it is I still don't fully feel like I'm in control of my actions when it comes. I think there's times where it still feels like it overwhelms me and I just want to like unload on somebody. And that's not necessarily going to be the most effective thing to do in that moment. So that still scares me. What kind of triggers will get you to the point where you're so angry that you feel overwhelmed? 
I think if I'm being disrespected in like my boundaries or somebody's maybe taking advantage of me, like I'm trying to work out a problem with this person and they're just not being reasonable with me. I think that tends to really trigger me. And then can you give me an example of when it feels like someone's taking advantage of you? Sure. So recently um going through the separation with somebody and they're asking me to do these things and like throw away their garbage and do things that I feel like are just unreasonable. And they're not really considering where I'm coming from with it. So to me, that just feels like unreasonable that you wouldn't think of the other person at any point. And then that's giving you the urge to unload on them, so to speak. Right. How are you coping with that? I'm pretty proud of how I coped with it, honestly. Like, there was one email I sent that was maybe borderline, but it wasn't over the top. And other than that, I've been pretty proud of how I handled it. Be more specific. How are you handling it that you're proud of? I think my mind has shifted more to solving problems as opposed to ruminating about the problems or catastrophizing about what's going to happen. So a lot of what was happening recently, my mind was able to access, well, how could I solve this? Like, what would be the next step that I want to move towards? So that's what made me proud about how I handled it. Yeah. What would you have done in the, in the past? Can you be more specific? Yeah, I know I would have ruminated. Like, that would have been probably a big chunk of my time. Um, and I would have feared what the future held for me. I, those two would have been for sure there. And I think my mind wouldn't have been able to access as much problem solving as it did because it would be stuck on what happened in the past or what might happen in the future. And then how are you, what are you doing when those thoughts show up? I assume you still have worries about what will happen in the, in, in the future or what happened in the past. So how do you cope with that? I try to remind myself that those aren't helpful thoughts and I'll literally say not helpful just to like get myself back away from them. Um, one thing that Reed Wilson has talked about is sometimes when you have a thought come up that isn't like in line with your values, accompany it with a, line, a thought that is. I've been trying that as well. Can you um, give me an example? Uh, let me think of one recently. I think one that came up recently was that I'm just going to be alone forever. Um, and the accompanying thought there was, well, what can I do with my time that might like bring me energy or bring me some joy? And so that's a recent example. That is very impressive. In the presence of a separation, having the thought, what if I'm alone together forever is very common. And to be able to immediately shift with what I, what can I do with my time that's going to bring me energy is a really effective way to think. Um, that's a that's a new way of thinking for you? Oh, for sure, yeah. I couldn't access these thoughts before in the past. And is there, um, I know that it's really new. So are you also sensitized by anger, or grief, or sadness? Like, how are you coping with the feelings in addition to having such a good cognitive perspective? Yeah, I think sometimes it's a mix of things, right? Like sometimes I just have to sit with the feeling and I know that that's just what I need to do in that moment. Like some nights are kind of hard. 
Um, but other times it can be like, maybe there's something to do that I can do with my time that, like I said, might bring me some energy or joy. So I think it's just experimenting a little bit. Yeah. And it seems like accepting what you're feeling on the nights that are hard and then mobilizing on the nights that you have more energy sounds like that's really helping you. How are you staying hopeful? Well, I think one thing that's helping is just I've handled it more in ways that I didn't think I could before. If you'd asked me this happening during pandemic, during fires, during all this other stuff, I probably wouldn't have thought I'd have handled it as well as I did. So that brings me hope. Like there's all these new ways to handle problems. So just to to reinforce that, basically you're getting experience, your experiential confidence is giving you hope that rather than the more problems there are between COVID and the fires and the breakup, then that's just like um, the fact that you can handle all of those things and handle them effectively is actually giving you more hope about how you handle things in the future rather than making you feel just completely overwhelmed by how many things are um, you know, going poorly right now. Right. Yes, definitely. Happy to hear that. Were you going to say something else? I think the only other thing I'd add is I shifted from outcome-based thinking because I just, like if anything, this is proven that I just really cannot control outcomes. But process, I can. And so I've really, really tried to just shift as much as I can to that. And can you be more specific? Yeah, so there's different things I can do to help myself out to move forward and move towards the directions of things I want. Like connection with other people is still really important to me. So what are different ways that I can still do that? Um, And I can't control like to the degree that I'm going to connect with somebody else, but I can at least try to connect with other people. Mm -hmm. And then to kind of give yourself credit for the effort. Right. Is that something that shifted for you? Would you have given yourself credit for effort in the past? No, I think it was very, very focused on outcome. I think there were several times I can remember where I would go out and do something that I thought was fun, but because I didn't get like this hit it out of the ballpark outcome, then I feel bad about myself that day, even though I did something that was within my values and I enjoyed. Can you, get, can you be more specific? Sure. Uh, so I like to go dancing and sometimes I would go dancing and it would be fun. I'd interact with different people, but none of those people would stick around. Like I wouldn't get to know them in a deeper level. And if I was just looking at it objectively, like that was a good night. Like I get to interact with some people. It was fun. But because I didn't have like this magical connection with somebody that lasted five years, then it was like viewed as disappointing. I think that's the shift. Mm-hmm. The shift is now the process of going dancing in and of itself is worth it regardless of its outcome. Yes. Um, was there perfectionism that was holding you back or keeping you outcome driven or what, what narrative do you think kept you outcome driven? Yeah. Perfectionism. Absolutely. Um, I, I still have those thoughts sometimes of, well, this isn't going so well, so I should just give up or why am I putting so much energy into this thing? But I don't act on that anymore. So it's just those thoughts might be there, but I'm still going to draw. I'm still going to do whatever I'm doing that day. Yes, that um, is also a really great example of 
how have you come to allow those thoughts to be there? I know a lot of people with anxiety and OCD are kind of waiting for certain thoughts to no longer show up in their mind. So how have you reconciled that you can, um, just because the thought is there doesn't mean you have to, it, it like means anything about you. I think on just the bigger picture, I've had to like really humble myself and understand that some of the core beliefs that I believed were hurting me and like causing a lot more suffering. So I had to just start to let go of some of those core beliefs. And the more I did so, the more I was able to access healthier ways to interact with things. Um, and one thing I saw recently was this documentary on a soccer team. They were talking about their coach and how he would tell them, oh, if you do this thing, we'll be successful. And like, they were really surprised because they would do it and then, yeah, they'd be successful again. So I, I know you've talked about the coaching aspect too. And I kind of use the coach, like you kind of laid out compassion and different steps and I've done those things and they have led to results that I didn't think were possible. So I think that's kind of been my process of shifting. Thank you so much for sharing that. Are there, uh, so we still have some more time. Were there other things that were coming to mind for you when you listened to the consultation I had with Jessica or other things you wanted to share in this session? Yeah, I think one of the things she talked about too that was insightful for me was how having a depressed parent has affected me. I think I get really sensitized around people that suffer through depression. I think one of those things of she talked about not feeling safe and like that would really affect my survival abilities because mom's not able to take care of me. That's a big thing. Um, so that stood out to me and it connected some dots for me. Can you be more specific? Sure. I think when I see other people depressed, I think my mind goes to how can I help them out of this? It's not how can I be empathetic of where they're at? I think it's just, let's try to solve the problem. I think some of the times I've struggled with sadness on myself is just, I'm afraid of where it's going to lead. So I think those are the two ways it plays out. Mm -hmm. And as you connect those dots, um, I know that's probably a relatively recent um, awareness, but can you imagine how you might relate to those um, the feeling of sadness or seeing someone else with depression differently now that you can see the, the narrative that um, created those beliefs? Yeah, I think ideally I'd move more to empathy when it's other people. I think I'd want to move away from trying to solve their problem uh, and not take that on myself as if I could anyway. Um, and then in terms of myself for sadness is just letting the sadness being there. Uh, I think, like I said, I was afraid of where that was going to take me. And so I'd always try to like, as quickly as I could, just go put our energy into something positive or something to like move away from that. Um, But I think, especially now, I think I can handle it better. How do you know? Because I just went through like this really hard breakup and that hit me pretty hard, but I mean, I still find reasons to laugh. I still find reasons to like find joy in the world or something that really sparks my interest. So I can make it through this and I can pretty much make it through any of those types of sadness, right? Yes, exactly. And especially because sadness is its own, is a feeling independent of content. So you're not going to have a different type of any other time that there's something um, 
that would trigger the feeling of sadness, it's still going to be the same feeling that you've already had. Right. So, so truly, if you've been able to cope effectively with the feeling of sadness one time, then you have a template for how you can respond to it at any other time. That makes sense. Um, I'm really glad to hear. I'm really glad to hear that you've made that connection too. That like rather than this really kind of tragic event turning into something that not only changes the course of your life, but also makes you feel that you can't like um, disempowers your sense of the ability to cope. You've already shifted it into to like uh, empowering situation. So you don't know how the rest of your life is going to go. Like you still have that uncertainty, but being able to handle something hard and see like, I know how to handle something like this. And in fact, when hard things happen, I'm even more empowered um, is a really great place to be, particularly so recently after um, this has happened for you. Do you have thoughts about that? Yeah, I think like we talked about earlier, what gives me hope is that, is that, I've been able to access things that I didn't think I could. Like I said, at any other point in my life, I, I know I would have ruminated. I know I would have. And I did some, some of the time now, but I was able to move away from it. And one thing you've talked about is how quickly you can move away from whatever is causing you suffering. And so I think the same thing happens in sports is when you work out, you still get tired regardless of how much you work out, but how quickly you can like start breathing normally again and get off that is what, where my mind went and connected the two things. It's not so much that I'm ruminating or that I feel sad or anything. It's just how quickly can I get back to where I want to go? Yes. And same goes for anger and same goes for anxiety. So it's, it's okay to feel anger in the first place. It's just, you just have to calm yourself down and cope with it. And then you get back to a place that you can act from a place of like groundedness um, but anger doesn't, nor anger nor anxiety doesn't, neither has to be like a threat in the first place. Right. And in fact, if you, it seems like you're, you're coping with sadness really well these days. Would you say that you're coping with it well? Yes, definitely. I think one shift, sorry, go ahead. Oh, and I was going to say, how can you apply what you're learning about coping with sadness to both anger and anxiety? I think surrendering to that they're going to be there is important. That was absolutely important with sadness. Um, so I think for both anxiety and anger, I think that still applies. I think learning from what's worked in the past helps me. And then just, again, shifting back to where I want to go with it. It's not so much getting rid of it. I agree with you on all of those things. Um, what, were there other things that you're hoping to talk about today? No, I think that pretty much captured it. Okay. Well, thank you so much for the session and for being on the podcast. Talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening. As an added bonus, here is our weekly episode check-in complete with specific, actionable, and current issue relevant tips and tricks for dealing with and thriving through any anxiety, OCD, or depression related challenge. And if you're looking for a safe place to put these anxiety, OCD, and depression-defeating strategies into practice, please go to huddle.care and sign up for your free month of online group therapy. Thanks again for tuning in and keep believing in yourself.
The therapeutic attitude of willing acceptance is built on a foundation of courage, curiosity, and compassion. Willing acceptance is not a one-time decision, but rather an attitude that you have access to like a muscle. Muscles that are used are made stronger. The more you use your muscles, the more you are able to use your muscles. Similarly, the more you intentionally shift your attitude towards one of acceptance, the more you will be able to shift your attitude towards one of acceptance. The best way to think about acceptance is by its opposite, resistance. What you resist persists. When you resist against your thoughts, feelings, and sensations or memories, they will become more intense. The opposite of resistance is allowing the internal experience to be there, and that's known as willing acceptance. It's human to resist against pain. The way you resist against internal pain will cause you greater suffering. Courage, curiosity, and compassion are skills or tools that you can use to make an attitude of willing acceptance more likely. Courage is the ability to respond effectively in the presence of fear. Curiosity is the desire to know something. Compassion is recognizing suffering and taking action to alleviate it. Let's start by talking more about self-compassion. Self-compassion is recognizing your own suffering and taking action to alleviate it by learning how to relate to it effectively. According to Kristen Neff, there are three components of self-compassion, mindfulness, kindness, and common humanity. Mindfulness is non-judgmental, present moment awareness. When you are mindful, you're focusing on current thoughts, feelings, and sensations, as opposed to ruminating about the past or worrying about the future. Your attitude towards your internal state is non-judgmental, as opposed to being critical or comparative. Kindness is warm, gentle, and friendly. When you're being self-compassionate, you aren't just aware of the present moment, refraining from self-criticism and refraining from engaging from the past or the future. Your attitude is friendly. It's inviting. It's turning towards that experience with warmth and gentleness as though you're hoping to have that very experience. Common humanity recognizes that suffering is pervasive in humans. All humans suffer and every moment includes suffering. By recognizing your common humanity, you understand that you and your suffering are no more or less important than anyone else's. Other people have experiences just like yours. You're not alone in your experience of suffering. Let's talk more about curiosity. When you are curious about something, you really want to know about it to understand it. Anxiety often makes people disinterested in their minds. You might only want to understand your experience long enough for the anxiety to stop. You might not even want to know that experience, but would rather but rather would prefer to take medication to stop it. Medication can be helpful for decreasing your sensitization enough to give you space to observe your experience. But the capacity to observe your experience with curiosity, like you really want to know it, is crucial for willing acceptance. If you're wondering whether you're curious about your experience, look at how you're behaving in response to learning about suffering from an anxiety disorder or OCD. Some behaviors that convey curiosity about it are reading about it, listening to audiobooks or podcasts, watching videos, joining a support or an advocacy group. All of these behaviors are ways to get more information and more understanding about your suffering. They push you towards acceptance rather than pulling you away from it. Self-monitoring is another great way to build curiosity. It sounds like a simple task, but staying with your experience long enough to observe it to notice your triggers, your thoughts, your feelings, your sensations, and your urge to act can be really challenging when you're anxious. Also, many people don't like their own answers when they self-monitor. 
Self-monitoring becomes an opportunity for judgment, and that feels aversive. When you self-monitor, give yourself credit for showing up to the task in the first place. Remember that you wouldn't have to self-monitor if you already had a friendly relationship with your anxiety, so it might be painful when you first observe what you see. Suffering plus pain. Suffering is pain plus resistance. You might feel pain when you observe yourself, but you'll suffer less over time if you go towards it without resistance. Finally, let's talk about courage. Um, Oftentimes when we think about courage, we think about heroic deeds that become remarkable outcomes. That's one version of courage. Courage also occurs in little moments. Anytime you feel fear and you choose to face it and act within your values, you're acting with courage. When I ask people to tell me what they're proud of, I'm really asking for a moment of courage. Avoidance undermines your courage. Avoidance impairs your life and causes you distress. You either can't do things you want to do because of it, or you do them with great distress because of how avoidance creates, maintains, and intensifies your anxiety. Your avoidance doesn't just make your anxiety disorder or OCD worse. It's also disempowering. It seems like there's no consequence when you avoid because it immediately feels better. But over time, it it will make you feel distant from yourself. Making and breaking commitments with yourself makes it hard for you to trust yourself. Courage is not a personality trait. It's, something, it's not something you either have or you don't have. It's a skill that you can build if you work on it intentionally. Making reasonable commitments and courageously keeping them will restore your trust in yourself, regardless of the outcome of that commitment. Perfectionism can also undermine your perspective about your courage. Those that suffer from anxiety and OCD are courageous every single day. It's courageous to get out of bed knowing that you're going to face fear. Getting out of bed and facing the day is acting with courage. If your perfectionism tells you that you have to do what you have to do and it has to be in a certain way, that will be elusive or unattainable and you'll lose sight of the everyday courage you're already living with just by living with an anxiety disorder. When you give yourself credit for the courage it takes to keep going, you'll get better and better at accessing that courage when you need it. In summary, the therapeutic attitude of willing acceptance occurs when in the presence of suffering, you observe your suffering with warmth and friendliness, a non-judgmental present moment awareness that includes understanding your connection to others. You are able to describe your suffering curiously with a strong desire to understand it, and you face your suffering courageously in accordance with your values, regardless of how you feel. Thank you so much for listening. If you felt any benefit from the show, please let us know and share it with anyone you think would also find benefit. As a disclaimer, please consult your doctor or therapist before attempting any strategy shared here. Thank you.